People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGold to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. It's that time again. Another weekend of Premier League action is over, so we're back to analyse the markets for the upcoming matches. Of course, as always, we've got the help of the Infogon model to see if there's any value out there for betters. The man that's going to help with that is Jake Osgathorpe. The week went pretty quick, but welcome back, Jake. Yeah, thanks, Ben. It was a pretty decent week for us as well in terms of finding value. The main highlight being under two and a half in Liverpool versus Tottenham, which you know, comfortably came in in the end. It was a really entertaining game as well. Yeah, I mean, the the league feels like it's pretty much done and dusted, but that doesn't stop the fact that we've got a good 150 games to go, I think. We'll we'll work our way through them week by week, but now we can look at game week 23. Are you ready to go? Yeah, let's get stuck in. Cool. So we got Watford versus Tottenham, and obviously the march up the table continues for Watford after Nigel Pearson took charge, unbeaten in five games, Good wins against Manchester United and Wolves. They have impressive performances against Villa and Bournemouth. I think they were both 3-0. Now at the relegation zone for the first time this season, obviously they're they're definitely looking up rather than down. One team that probably are looking down is is Tottenham. They're they're in the midst of a really poor run, obviously temporarily lifted when Mourinho came in. But outside of that, I mean, it's been 12 months of struggles for Spurs. They didn't disgrace themselves against Liverpool, but it was, in terms of attack, it was another tepid performance. And without Harry Kane, he's, he's out until April. They're really going to struggle. You, you have to see them dipping into the transfer market and maybe what they can do there to, to start getting that attacking process improved. Two teams obviously going in opposite directions. Is there value in the team on the up or the team on the way down? Um, we don't think so, no. Um, maybe a small amount of value in getting on side with Watford, but. I think the bookmakers have got this pretty much spot on, really, the way they priced it up. Um, I don't think there's any big team bias in this price at all. I think Tottenham are probably the better team on paper. Um, but, you know, like you said, one team's really in the in the ascendancy and, and flying up the table. And the other team is is just really struggling on, on all fronts, really. And, um, you know, the, the, the performance Watford put in at Bournemouth, and, you know, we'll get on to Bournemouth later, but they are one of the worst teams in the Premier League right now. But... Take nothing away from that. That was one of my biggest question marks going into the game about Watford is, is could they go away from home and put in a similar performance as to what they have done um, in front of their own fans under Nigel Pearson? And they did exactly that. They absolutely wiped the floor with Bournemouth. They, defensively, they were impressive. They conceded very few chances, just 0.39 expected goals against. Um, you know, I, I always had a feeling that the players that they got at Watford were, and it's a cliche, but too good to go down. Um, you, know, you look at some of the players there, De La Feu, Decore, even Dini. I mean, he's made a huge difference since he's come back into the team. But I think Nigel Pearson's just got them much uh, better organised than, than they were under Kike Sanchez-Flores. Um, you know, they're not shipping as many goals and they're, they're creating loads of chances and scoring goals. And yeah, this is a really, really big game for, or it's going to be a tough game anyway for Tottenham, going to one of the form teams in, in the Premier League. And you know, you're, you're right, they weren't too bad against Liverpool. In, in the second half, but the first half performance was was, well, was pretty pathetic, really, in front of their own fans. They generated just 0.35 expected goals. 
Um, in that first second half, they were a little bit better, but you know, there's also a chance that really stands out as a as the, the best opportunity to get an equaliser. And in for goal calculated, he had about a 55% chance of scoring that on the stretch. So, you know, you take that away and it's still it's another game in which they created really next to nothing in terms of expected goals. Something they were becoming, uh, you know, really accustomed to seeing um, under Jose Mourinho. And obviously, Hurricane's absence isn't going to help that. But even in the last... Um, in the five games prior to the Liverpool match, they were averaging just over one expected goal per game, and that was with Harry Kane. So, you know, it's only going to get tougher for Tottenham. The, you know, we're expecting an entertaining game here. There's two sides that are, um, especially Watford, playing in a, a very expansive manner now. And, and, you know, they've found a bit of swagger, confidence, whatever you want to call it. They're creating good chances regularly. Their expected goal four per game average is now up to 1.41 um, and climbing. Whereas Spurs, theirs is at 1.42 and getting worse by the week. Um, they're allowing nearly 1.5 expected goals against also Spurs. Watford at 1.7. So the two teams that are really good going forward but are very vulnerable defensively. And you know Spurs are in a position now where if they want to achieve what it looks unlikely, the top four finish, the nine points behind Chelsea, they're going to have to start winning games and putting a run together. If it gets to about game week 28, 29, and they're still quite a way off Chelsea and they're in, you know, they're in the hunt for fifth, sixth, or seventh, will they take the foot off the gas? Maybe. I don't know if Tottenham fans will want to finish seventh and, and you know enter the Europa League at a really early stage or be in the Europa League at all. So, you know, it's an interesting game. If Spurs get the win here and Chelsea slip up a few, you know, it, it's possible that, that gap can shrink. But at the minute, you know, it's interesting to think about what sort of mindset Spurs are in as a club. Um, whether they write this season off and go again next season or whether they, they just keep fighting to try and get in that top four spot. I think this is going to be an entertaining game. Infogol sees plenty of goals in this one. We, we, we calculate a, a 56% chance of over two and a half goals. Um, I think over two and a half is around 54% on the market. So that's where the value is. Um, in terms of 1x2, like I said, we think the, the market's got this pretty much spot on um, in terms of percentage chance and, and, and pricing. So, yeah, over two and a half goals is, is the way we're playing this one. Um, both teams to score, not as much value. Uh, we're, we're at 59% compared to, I think, 59% on the market, so it's pretty much dead on. So yeah, over two and a half is the way I play this one in, in what I'm expecting to be a really entertaining game to get the game week kicked off. I'm going to put you in a, a hypothetical situation here. Tottenham have, have seen sense. They've, they've turned to data to try and sort out the, the Harry Kane issue and maybe a a temporary replacement and, and get some recruitment done. They've sworn in InfoGoal. InfoGoal have sent you to a, a meeting in North London and you've got to suggest who, who Tottenham are going by to to maybe turn around those issues up top. Who are you suggesting? Well, it's funny you should ask that because a few weeks ago I actually wrote an article about um, teams that potentially chasing the, um, you know, chasing European football, who they should sign. And Tottenham was an interesting one because you look at the you know, in terms of the goals scored compared to the expected goals, they've actually outscored. Um, you know, I, I think what they are now. Just get my table up. Tottenham. Yes, thirty-six goals, thirty-one expected goals. So they're actually overperforming in attack, which obviously can happen when you have a, a really top striker like Harry Kane. Um, but the issue they've got is that, the, for me anyway, it's a creative issue. That the thirty, uh, thirty-one expected goals is one of the poorest returns in the league. Um, you know, if you look at the teams that have created more, you've got Villa, Brighton, um, Sheffield United, Everton, Southampton, all teams that have created more according to expected goals than Tottenham have. So 
as right in the article, it was clear to me anyway that they needed to create more chances and better chances. And you know, obviously you've got Christian Eriksen, who's um, you know we we all know he's a very talented footballer and he creates plenty of good chances, but he just doesn't seem like his his heart's in it anymore. He's averaging just 0.19 expected assists per 90, which is really low for a player of his calibre. Um, Lacelso looks promising, but he's not. He's been quite short of playing time. Um, so you know we. we I threw a couple in there. Um, one player that stood out recently in, um, over the Christmas period, especially, is Norwich's Emi Buendia. He's averaging 0.25 expected assists per 90. Um, Luis Alberto at Lazio is another player that, that has been really impressive. He's averaging around 0.35 expected assists per 90. I think that's the area they need to improve, really, is just to, um, well, in the long term, anyway, in, in the short term, they definitely need a striker. But in the long term, they, um, in the short term, rather, they need a striker to replace Harry Kane's goals. I know there's been talks of Lorente coming back in potentially, and he would suit the way that Mourinho's sort of got them set up at the minute, which is long ball football, uh, playing very direct. But yeah, in the long term, I think they need more creativity. It's all right having loads of pace and uh, out wide with Son and, and Lucas Moura, but they do need uh, some better technicians in there in, in the midfield. You know that, that that's where I see Tottenham at the minute. Defensively, they aren't they aren't too bad. Um, Obviously, there's the whole transfer saga is going on with uh, Vertonghen and Alderweireld. Alderweireld's now signed a contract, but that didn't help them. Um, obviously, injuries haven't helped. Larice is out in that, uh, in goal. I think the fullbacks are weak areas for them. Uh, it is. I think it was Jamie Carragher said it post game, or it might have been Gary Neville, one of the two, uh, that said that they are further away now from success under Mourinho than what they were under Pochettino. And I think that's dead right. I think Mourinho needs. You're looking at four or five players to make Tottenham, um, you know, a, a top four contender, never mind a title contender. I think they're that way short. So it is a huge project project for him to undertake. And, you know, time will tell if he is given time to be able to see it through. Yeah, you mentioned injuries there and a lack of creativity. I think you speak to Tottenham fans and certainly some more analytically minded people on Twitter, I've said, following Tottenham, suggesting that Ndombele is kind of key to their ball progression and maybe getting those creative players on the ball to to be able to create chances but if he was if he was fully fit you could maybe say what would be what would be but it's not the case so they'll have to find a workaround yeah I think Harry Winks did pretty well on uh, on Saturday he's one of the players that is capable of progressing the football um, I think on and Dombele he drives the football forward as well as passing it, which is something that they miss when, uh, obviously, Moussa Soko is injured and he does that as well. I know he doesn't have as much technical quality as, as Ndombele, but he carries, he drives the team forward and gets them up the pitch. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you've got Eric Dyer, who for me is too slow. He doesn't progress the ball well enough. Um, that's why his, his career is sort of stalled. Yeah, that you know, that you could you can point to five or six positions in which they they really need to have a look and uh, and almost start again because Pochettino's project came to an end with the Champions League final, in my opinion, and um, they were fortunate to get to that final. And obviously, we saw at the back end of last season the results start to take a real turn for the worse, and as did the performances, and that's just carried on to this season. I think it is purely because some of the the players there have got a little bit stale and everything's a little bit too familiar. Well, our next game is Arsenal versus Sheffield United and we'll move from one struggling North London side and, and on to another. The the winds of change that were mentioned with such sincerity on the podcast last week have, have quickly diminished. It was all about defence for Palace in that game against Arsenal and they, they got what they would have wanted and in fairness to Arsenal, they probably did enough to get the win and 
had they kept 11 men on the pitch, it might have been a different story. I think for Arsenal, the fact that they're now level on points with the Southampton side who were in the relegation zone less than a month ago, it, it shows just how bad things have got for them at the moment. Sheffield United, meanwhile, they got another home win under their belt and it was a deserved win at that against West Ham. Plenty of decent chances created for Sheffield United and while West Ham could have got in front through Felipe Anderson, the visitors were second best to to what is proving to be a very good Sheffield United side. It's another tough test for Arsenal, Jake. Have you got anything positive to say about them this week or is it more bad news for Arsenal fans? Um no, there's a there's a couple of positives definitely to take from the the Crystal Palace game and sort of a trend if you like. I mean, I mean we're only we're playing with small sample sizes, but um, you know it was a really decent defensive performance um, according to expected goals. They allowed just 0.39 expected goals against uh, to Crystal Palace, and that was you know it, it, they they really did limit them even when they did go down to ten men, which is a huge positive, and I think that is. Uh, what we're starting to see is is the Manchester City Pep Guardiola style of of, of Arteta in terms of them winning the ball back quite quickly, uh, getting back into shape quite quickly, and that means that they're limiting chances of, that their opponents are creating. They did that against Manchester United as well, just 0.75 in that game. So there are a few positives, but um, it does seem to be same old Arsenal in terms of the best way to put it, especially away from home. Anyway, they they, do, they just seem pretty weak mentally. Um, you know, Crystal Palace is quite a raucous atmosphere, and, and they were the fans were making some serious noise. And 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 you know, when it, whenever it's like that, I always do tend to doubt Arsenal, um, especially given the players that are, that are out there now. I, I think Torreira coming off injured was a big blow in this game as well. I think he's a player that's thrived so far under under Arteta in terms of uh, winning the ball back and progressing the ball. He's been doing that quite well. So he, he him coming off was a blow. Um, you know, based on expected goals, they had a, a 68% chance of keeping a clean sheet in that game, um, given the chances that it conceded. So they were, they can count themselves unfortunate not to get the three points. But yeah, those 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 um, you know those worries and, and that lingering poor away form it, it, that doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. And you know they, they've got a really tough test here against uh, a Sheffield United team that actually boast a better process than Arsenal do over the course of this season. Um, you're right to say that obviously there was VAR drama <coughs> excuse me in, in the game on Friday and yeah you know, I've spoken to a few West Ham fans about it and they were actually pretty calm to be honest a lot calmer than Declan Rice was in his post-match interview um you know, he, a couple of them just said yeah it was handball I was like okay that's fair enough I, I looked at it first time I thought it's pretty harsh but I guess the rules are rule if it hits your hand it hits your hand but even if the goal did go in um West Ham would have been very fortunate to have got a point from that game they were, like you said, it's second best. Um, Sheffield United were fantastic, created plenty of good chances. Uh, something we've seen them do quite a lot. And you know, I said to you before before we started recording that um, David McGoldrick is probably one of them unsung heroes um, in the Sheffield United team. He's yet to score a goal in the Premier League, despite being on the end of chances equating to six point eight five expected goals. So, if he keeps getting himself in scoring positions, that goal will come at some point. But that is quite staggering. He leads the league in that in that stat, which is not the sort of stat you want to be leading the league in. Um, but he does so much more for this team than just um, you know gets on the end of chance and scoring goals. He drops deeper and makes things happen. And you know he's one player that Arsenal will need to keep an eye on. Um, maybe not from a goal scoring perspective, but definitely from a, a creative perspective. And like I said, they've actually got a better process Sheffield United do than, than Arsenal. Uh, one point six expected goals for, one point four two against. 
Arsenal at 1.5 to 1.48. So that, you know, Arteta in a short space of time has turned Arsenal's process positive. It was negative under Unai Emery and Freddie Lundberg. So it's a really tough test. Uh, Sheffield United sit two places higher in the expected table than Arsenal do. So, you know, in, in terms of pricing, I think the market has got this one pretty spot on. They, they are paying Sheffield United the respect that they deserve in this game, I think. Um, market's around 53% chance of an Arsenal winning for goals at 52%. Um, I think most of that is down to the fact that Sheffield United have been extremely tough to beat away from home. I know they've lost the last two, but they were to Liverpool and Manchester City, the two best away teams. Oh, sorry, the two best teams in the Premier League full stop. And prior to that, they were unbeaten in nine away games. So, you know, I think if, if Arsenal, obviously, at home, people will probably look at this price and get excited. But Sheffield United will be tough to, tough to break down. They don't concede too many chances. And, um, you know, they've got every chance of going there and getting something. But where we're looking in terms of value is both teams to score. I mentioned, obviously, the, the uh, per-game totals of both teams. They both create chances, both concede chances. And, uh, you know, we give a 57% chance of both teams scoring. And I think on the market, it's around 55, 56%. So that's where your value is in this one. And now we've got Brighton versus Aston Villa. And it's it's been a bit hit and miss for Brighton this season. They're, we've kind of talked about them a bit on the pod. They're playing good football, but sometimes it seems that that expansive style, it might be the thing that's causing them some problems. That certainly seemed the case against Everton because they managed 1.82 XG themselves, but they also gave up 2.17 to their opponents. Um, a bit of luck maybe and things could look a li- little bit different for Graham Potter, but he'll obviously be confident about getting things back on track and a poor Aston Villa side is, is probably a good way to do that. I said last week that it feels like Aston Villa have been in 17th all season, but after a 6-1 drubbing, they're now in the relegation zone and, and things really don't look great for them. Their first-choice keeper is out. Their big-money front man is out. They're going to have to move quick in the transfer market. They really need to sort that defence out. By far the worst defence in the league, giving up well over two expected goals per game. In terms of the market for this one, we've got Brighton hovering around 60% chance, which is 1.641 at Pinnacle. Obviously a fairly short price for a team that's 15th in the table, but is there any value in it? Uh, we don't think so, no. We think it's a little bit too short on Brighton. Um, their process has, has dipped off slightly in recent weeks. Um, obviously, they had a couple of decent perform- uh, results, sorry, but the performances in those games weren't fantastic. And, um, you know, you're right. What we say all season long is that the, the, you know, the football that they're playing is really good under under Graham Potter. And they're definitely improved from a, an attacking perspective anyway. 1.51 expected goals for per game. But defensively, they still look vulnerable. Um, you know, they looked vulnerable under Chris Hewton last season when they nearly got relegated. But this season, the difference is the great chances as well. Yeah, they're allowing 1.94 expected goals against, which is the, the main area in which they need to improve. Um, they have had a pretty tough schedule recently. Um, obviously, they played Sheffield United, Tottenham, Chelsea and Everton in the last five matches. Um, it gets a little bit easier from now. They've got four really winnable games against teams that are below them or around them. This Starting with this one, I mean... If you look at the state of the Premier League table right now, they are just three points above Aston Villa, who sit third bottom. And if, if Villa get the win here, then Brighton have to be thought of as being dragged straight into a relegation battle. But a win here would really well, catapult them into mid-table and, and, and clear of, of the bottom three. So it is a really big game for, for Graham Potter and his Brighton team. And obviously they have they definitely have the quality to to, to get uh, to dispatch Villa in this game. 
it's a Villa team that just continued to be extremely poor defensively more than anything. Um, obviously, they, they got on the score sheet against Manchester City, but that was thanks to a um, to a penalty. But prior to that, they, they generated just 0.39 expected goals, um, conceding just under three. Yeah, it, it is a, it's a Villa team that are one of the worst defensive teams that we've probably seen in the in the Premier League era. Um, they're allowing 2.35 expected goals against per game, which is the the worst in the Premier League. Um, the only thing that's saving them from being rock bottom of the table is the fact that they do create chances. They're at 1.5 expected goals for. So, um, you know, the main differences between these two teams are is that Aston Villa are slightly worse defensively. So, the obvious play here is to look at the goal market, and over two and a half goal we think is is a little bit too short. Both teams to score, though, that, that's where we think the value is. We're 62% chance of, of both teams to score, uh, 60% on the market. And, you know, I, I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, as most of Aston Villa matches are. Um, both teams to score. I think Brighton will get the win here, but you know, it could be a tight one. It could be a nervy one. Um, I, you, you mentioned Aston Villa's injury problems there. I think they've signed Pepe Reina on loan from uh, AC Milan, which should solve some of their goalkeeping issues. Again, they're spending the cash there. Um, but yeah, uh, striker is, is them, you know, it's a real issue now. Wesley's out. Obviously, El Ghazi played up front against Manchester City and he didn't really do anything. Didn't hold the ball up at all. Um, yeah, they, they, they need to sign a striker between now and uh, and this game on Saturday to have any chance of getting a win, in my opinion. But both teams score as well the value is in this one. Now we've got Manchester City versus Crystal Palace. We mentioned it before, it was a defensively focused performance from Palace at the weekend and we've come to expect that from them in most games, not even just against the elite. And I guess speaking of elite, they're up against a Manchester City team that that we just said put six past Aston Villa. They've beaten Watford 8-0 already this season. They did West Ham 5-0 at the start of the season. It feels like it could be another big one here if, if a couple of big early goals go in. However... However, we have talked about the cliche of Palace's counter-attacking threat. They've been fairly clinical this season. Is there any chance they steal a goal and keep the likes of De Bruyne, Aguero, Jesus, Sterling out for the whole whole 90 minutes? I think the odds say there's a chance, only around a 3% chance that they cause an upset at a price of 28.34. I'm guessing Infogol is there or thereabouts, but is there any value if we look to the goals markets maybe? Yeah, at goals market is where we're looking. This, like you said, the um, you know, the price of, of a Manchester City win is extremely short for this one. Um, yeah, eighty seven percent on the market. We've given eighty three percent chance, so we're, we're not as confident. But you know, eighty three percent is pretty confident anyway. Um, yeah, they were they were sensational again. Manchester City were at the weekend against Aston Villa. Yeah, carved them open at will, really, and, and the new system does seem to have. Uh, revitalise them a little bit. The three at the back, you could almost call it, with two central midfielders playing playing in the back three. Um, but you know, it was, it was interesting to see both Aguero and Jesus on the pitch. To be honest, I thought that was a, a nice change. Uh, we all know that their attacking capabilities and how fantastic they are going forward. They're averaging two point eight six expected goals for per game, which is uh, 0.7 more per game than next best Liverpool, which just shows you how they're almost in a different league in terms of attacking process. Um, but 
as we've saw again against Aston Villa, although they were all, they were six nil up, they did manage to find a way to concede a goal. Um, you know, a late penalty, something that they they have done very often this season. Clean sheets have been very limited for Pep Guardiola's team, and I won't be surprised to see a, a similar scoreline and result in this game, like a, a three, four, five, one maybe. Um, you know, Crystal Palace are one of the worst teams in the league according to expected goals. They're they rank they sit fifteenth in the expected goals table, so that you know a long way down from ninth that they currently sat in the Premier League table. Process wise, they defensively is, is the, has been their main issues at one point seven four expected goals against per game. They've conceded twenty four goals from chances equating to thirty eight point two expected goals, so they've over overperformed in defence by around fourteen goals, and that that is a, a level of performance that is unsustainable over the course of the season and. At some point in the near future, they will start conceding goals at a rate that they, their performances suggest that they deserve to. Uh, we've said they were fortunate to get a, um, a point against Arsenal, and that's been the case in the last three matches now. Against Norwich, they were fortunate, uh, and against Southampton, they were fortunate to get a point. So they're, they're a team, they're running on empty, really, in terms of um, players and injuries. That they've, They're really short, uh, short-handed in terms of bodies. Uh, makeshift teams is what Hodgson's been putting out recently, and players playing through the pain barrier, which is, um, you know, something to behold really nowadays. And uh, I think Zahar, Maya, Riedevel were all questionable for the game at the weekend, and they all came out and played. So I'm expecting them to be playing again in this one. Like you said, counter-attacking wise, they are a very good side, and we can't forget that they went to the Etihad last season and, and actually beat Manchester City three-one. So. It is one of Man City's potential banana skins. Um, obviously, they've shown this season that they are beatable at the Etihad, having lost to Wolves and Manchester United. So, Crystal Palace, who will try and play in the same manner. But, as we've said, not giving them too much of a chance of, of getting the win here or the draw. Um, goals markets, where we're looking. We think there's an interesting bet in backing both teams to score. It's a fairly big price, really, given that Manchester City's record in terms of... Uh, Keeping clean sheets, it's around forty-eight percent on the market. We think there's a fifty percent chance both teams score in this one, and the actual gold market is really high. Fifty-eight uh, percent chance of over three and a half goals on the market. So yeah, we're expecting another really scintillating Manchester City attacking performance in this one. But both teams to score is is the value play in this one. All right, so now we've got Norwich versus Bournemouth, probably the or one of the highlight fixtures from the weekend for the wrong reasons rather than the right ones it's uh the table <laughs> the table says this is a match between two of the worst or the two worst teams in the league and people often say the table never lies and people use metrics like expected goals will, will sometimes argue against that but this one it's it's not far off in this instance I think InfoGoal have got Norwich around 17th Bournemouth in 16th but there isn't much in it between those and and the ones below them Norwich had a kind of a mini revival in terms of performances recently but they didn't get the right results they're now eight points from safety and they look like the first one to be nailed on for the drop I was pretty blunt in my assessment of Bournemouth last week when I said they were bad and I'm going to change that now they're very bad 0.39 expected goals at home to a team that that was in the bottom three I mean it's just shocking and combined with the fact that they allowed 2.7 xg you really have to wonder if they've they've got enough in it to to change things and turn it around and and not drop further away. 
Maybe they need a game like this to get back to winning ways. What chance do you give them of doing so? And, and is it worth betting on? Well, um, in terms of 1x2, we we think Norwich are, are too short to win this game. We, we've got this as a barely even match. I mean, Norwich 37% favourites, Bournemouth 36% chance of winning the game. So it's literally, it's nearly pick them in terms of our um, percentage chance. Uh, like you said, it's two of the worst teams in the Premier League right now. I mean, over the course of the season, according to expected goals, they both of them just sit above the uh, relegation zone. Norwich 17th in the expected table, Bournemouth 16th, and you know, West Ham, Villa, and Newcastle below them. But in terms of recent form, uh, the pair of them have been really, really poor. Um, you mentioned Norwich's mini revival in terms of performances uh, against Aston Villa in which we were unfortunate to lose, they deserved the three points, and against Crystal Palace. But, you know, it, they just don't seem to be able to sustain those sorts of performances. And, and, you know, they went to Manchester United at the weekend, and it's not exactly the Manchester United of old in terms of you go there and, and you're scared. But they went there and basically just rolled over. I mean, allowed three expected goals, created just 0.3 themselves, which is, in, which is a pretty poor return for a team that had kept just three clean sheets in... 21 Premier League games up to that point. So, poor performance. Um, they are a team, like I said, that are really struggling. They're, they're a team that have actually been really poor in attack as well as defence this season, which is a surprise to many given how uh, how Norwich are perceived. Uh, they're perceived as a very attacking side that create plenty of good chances. They did in the Championship, but they haven't uh, been able to continue that in the Premier League. They're generating just 1.15 expected goals for per game, and that has them as the third worst attacking team in the Premier League. Um, defensively, they are uh, allowing over two expected goals per game, and that has them as the third worst defensive team in the Premier League. So, yeah, they, they are. <coughs> excuse me, they are looking doomed. If you, um, yeah, if you want to use that phrase, eight points from safety, they are. So it's a huge game for them, really. Um, playing the team that are directly above them is, you know, it's a relegation six-pointer. Uh, Bournemouth had a relegation six pointer last season, uh, last season, last weekend, sorry. Um, and, you know, they, they just didn't turn up. They were extremely poor. I think your assessment of them being bad and now very bad is probably understating it a little bit. I think they are bordering awful um, in terms of expected goals. They've, they've failed to generate over one expected goal in seven of the last 11 Premier League matches. Obviously, they've, they've they've only picked up four points in those eleven matches, um, you know, and that you know, the stat, the process suggests that that's a fair uh, reflection of of their performances. And you know, ironically, their best performance came against Arsenal um, when they got a one-one draw. They deserve one-one draw, and you know they need to get back to you know that sort of level very very quickly. Otherwise, the season's going to slip away from them, and they are going to be relegated. Um, they too. Like I said, that Bournemouth are, are another team that are known for their attacking play and creating plenty of chances, scoring plenty of goals. But this season, they have just been completely the opposite of what we would expect. They've scored just 20 times in 22 games this season, Bournemouth, which is um, very un-Bournemouth-like. Um, and, you know, they're, they're creating chances equating to just 1.2 expected goals for per game. So they are really struggling going forward. Defensively, they are struggling. Like we saw Watford just carve them open in the game at the weekend. Yeah, they, they, this is two of the worst teams in the Premier League, if not the two, uh, battling it out 
for you know increasing their chances of survival basically because I think if Norwich lose they they are you could probably write them off have them as relegated and, and and if Bournemouth lose then will Eddie Howe get sacked is it at that stage do they stick with him that they, you know those sorts of questions are going to be asked and we actually think there's some value in in siding with Bournemouth in this one. I know we, we sided with Bournemouth at the weekend against Watford, but Watford are a team that are in the ascendancy and they're, they're playing at a much higher level than what Norwich are at the moment. And you know, the value there is there. We're 50, 63% chance of Bournemouth avoiding defeat in this one. Um, that's 57% on the market. So there's a decent chunk of value there. Whether they go there, try and get a point just to steady the ship, or go there and cause what would be a surprising win given the current form. Um, you know, that remains to be seen. But I just don't trust this Norwich team at the minute. Um, they're inconsistent. They concede too many chances and, and they don't create enough. Same goes for Bournemouth. But, you know, it is, like I said, it's a pick em, And in terms of value, just avoiding uh, getting on side with Bournemouth or the draw is where I would go in this one. You mentioned there about Bournemouth being very un-Bournemouth. And we, we kind of almost joking about it throughout the season where they had this weird kind of period where the the attacking process dropped off. They then managed to get quite defensive. They had quite a few clean sheets in in a row. A a good performance against Manchester United stands out in my memory. But it's so strange to go away from a team that is so renowned for for that attacking process and to drop off so drastically. It's can you put your finger on it? Is is there anything you see or in the games that you've watched that maybe you can suggest what's going wrong, or is it just it's one of those ones that it's it's hard to hard to explain what's gone on? It is, yeah, it really is. Um, I think injuries have played the part. They, you know, they've had a lot of injuries to key players. Josh King can't keep fit. Um, Stanislas is the same. Um, I don't think the signing of Harry Wilson has helped them. Uh, he plays on the right hand side and takes two and three touches before cutting in on his left foot. And I think that Bournemouth strikers, Wilson, um, King, when he's fit, they they thrive off early crosses into the box, which is what Stanislas provides on that right-hand side. Um, there's a lot of things there. The midfield doesn't seem settled to me. I don't think Philip Billings uh, lived up to his billing. Um, Lewis Cook's just coming back to fitness. But, you know, there's... Defensively, that is the main issue for me that they, they haven't been able to keep any players fit. Even the goalkeeper picked up an injury um, over the last week. <coughs> Excuse me, um, Nathan Aki's he's, he's been out for a little while. Um, you know, they, they can't get a left back fit, Rico and, and Charlie Daniels. So, yeah, the, I think injuries they've not been able to field the strongest team. But in in the meantime, what they have been doing just hasn't been very good. Um, they've not been transitioning the ball well enough, getting it back forward quick enough for Wilson to be able to use his pace. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot There's a lot going wrong there. Um, you know, is it time for Eddie Howe to move out and, and someone else to have a crack at that? Uh, I read a stat the other day that Bournemouth have, have got a bigger net spend than Liverpool since 2015, which is quite staggering. But then I remembered that they actually helped Liverpool with that by buying Solanke and Jordan Ive for about £35 million combined. So, um, you know, transfer dealings haven't been great, but he's, he's had the money to spend. So he's not really got a leg to stand on in this sense. And we actually think that now they are uh, around a 40, 45% chance of going down, according to our model. Um, obviously, they played Norwich in this game. And, and prior to the game at the weekend, we gave Norwich a 95% chance, 95, 94% chance of relegation. So 
Um, you know, even if Norwich do get the win, we still think they're going to be in serious tr trouble. But if Bournemouth can get the win, it would really decrease the chances of relegation quite drastically. Right, so now we've got Southampton versus Wolves and what should be another intriguing match. I think Ralph Hoosenhartel's head was on the chopping block a little over a month ago. Southampton were in the bottom three on 12 points from 14 games. We did consistently mention that their process looked solid. We were trying to work out why they always seem to be unlucky and now just eight games later, they're edging towards the top half, drawing plenty of plaudits. Danny Ings obviously grabbed most... Yeah. <laughs> Danny Ings is is the main man for them. He's he's drawing all the headlines. Got another goal in what was a thoroughly deserved win against Leicester. He's he is the main man. They seem to be like a solid unit all round. And outside of Ings, there's no real standout performer. But it's almost a case of everyone does their role and they seem to do it well. Wolves, on the other hand, of I mean, they've disappointed me uh, quite a bit. They've, they showed some signs of promise. Granted, they did more than enough to get the win against Newcastle. And, it was a decent performance, but they've just been too up and down to challenge for the top four with their, their current position of seventh, fairly close to their expected position of sixth. What are your thoughts here? Can Southampton keep that impressive run going? Um, we, we actually think that Wolves are a decent bet in this one. Um, yeah, I just want to say well done to Southampton, really, for, for having the cojones to stick with Ralph Harsenhutl when it wasn't going well. Um, you know, there must have been someone in the club that was looking at the the analytics and the data and, and could clearly see that they were doing a lot right and, and should have been winning a lot more matches. And his head was on listening the Listening to the block. podcast, Jake. Clearly listening to the podcast, yeah. Um, <laughs> whoever you are, thank you. Um, yeah, they, you know, his, his head was on the chopping block, but, they, you know, this run of, of, of results has whipped that head straight off uh, off the block. And, you know, they're, they're looking up now. I'd say maybe another 10 points to guarantee their safety for this season. Um, I, wrote, I wrote a, an article last week about the best outright um, bets remaining in for the remainder of the Premier League season. and We actually think Southampton are a pretty good bet to finish in the top half now. Uh, that was before the win at Leicester as well. We calculated before that game, they had a 52% chance of a top half finish. And, and that is purely based on the fact that their process this season has been absolutely fantastic. They are... They went to Leicester and beat Leicester convincingly. And the only other team that, that has done that this season has been Leicester, uh, Leicester, Liverpool. Liverpool went there, destroyed them. Southampton did pretty much the same. They limited Leicester to just 0.74 expected goals, created nearly 2.5 for themselves. So, you know, they, they are a team that are firing on all cylinders right now. The process is, has been fantastic. They've won the XG battle in all of the last five Premier League games. Um, and they're rightly climbing the table. And like you said, Danny Ings has been uh, has been fantastic. He's, he's narrowing the gap on Jamie Vardy for, for for the top scorer, the golden boot. 14 goals he's got from chances equating to 10.8 expected goals. So he's overperforming slightly, but not to a level that, that would suggest wouldn't be able to carry that on over the season. He's just been extra clinical. And yeah, they're, they're, they've been really, really good. And it, it's nice to see, like I said, it's nice to see Team stick with a manager when perhaps results aren't going the way, um, but performances are, are, are really impressive. And you know, you could say they're one of the only teams I've seen recent years that, have, that has done that uh, in the Premier League. But yeah, like I said at the, at the top of this one, we do like Wolves to get the win in, the, in this game. Like you said, they were unfortunate to only get a point against Newcastle. Um, we calculated that they had a 
better chance of winning 3-0, 16%, than drawing 1-1 against Newcastle, which had just a 4% chance of, of the game ending 1-1 based on the chances created. So that shows you just how dominant Wolves were in that one. They created plenty, um, limited Newcastle to next to nothing. And those are the sort of performances that we've seen regularly from Wolves. And even against Watford, when they lost 2-1, they did exactly the same. They limited Watford to under one expected goal while creating 1.42. Yeah, they are. You know, they, they've won the XG battle in four of the last five matches with the only one they lost coming against Liverpool. So this is probably, in terms of XG, uh, this is probably the two most informed teams, um, again, according to expected goals, are battling it out. If you well, it's, take Liverpool out of that equation because they are just on a different level. But yeah, best of the rest is, is at the moment these two. Um, Southampton fourth in our expected goals table after that win over Leicester. Wolves sixth in the expected goals table. Uh, Process-wise, they both create plenty of chances. 1.69 Wolves and uh, 1.67 Southampton. Defensively, they're both vulnerable. So we're expecting goals in this one. We, both teams to score is a value bet. Uh, we give a 60% chance compared to 57 on the market. Over two and a half is even bigger value bet, 57% chance compared to 51 on the market. But um, like I said, we, we think Wolves have got have got the beating of Southampton in this one. Uh, we think Southampton's run is going to come to an end and Wolves are going to put themselves back in the picture for a top four, uh, top six finish. Sorry, 39% um, chance for Wolves win, 33% on the market. It is interesting that, <coughs> that Wolves are so big in this game. Um, I think most of that is due to the fact that Southampton's current form, because um, if you remember, before they hit this form, they were they were quite big prices at home to to teams in and around them. Um, but since the, the wins have started to come, they've shortened up massively. If they win this game and, and, you know, quite a few teams slip up, they would jump right up. But I think Wolves, I think they've got a little bit more about them. They've got a bit more quality all over the pitch. And I think they're a decent bet here at quite a big price. Yeah, in terms of the goals, the market's actually moving against what, what InfoGoal is suggesting there. You've got under 2.5 taking the action. And on the subject of goals, creating chances, I did. I mentioned Danny Ings and, and how integral he's been to Southampton's success. And we kind of, we briefly had a chat off air because he was, he was part of our, our conversation. I was kind of asking about how it seems to me that if you take a brief look at the numbers, I had a very kind of brief dig around in terms of expected assists. There's not... There's not anyone near him or in terms of um, creating chances for him that really stands out. And it might just be, or it seemed to be kind of just a, a real team effort. And you suggested that you might be able to have a brief look while we were kind of chatting. And, and you have, have you found any information there on that? Yeah, you're spot on. It is, it's a really interesting um, XG chart, really. He, obviously, Danny Ings is the main provider of the goals. He's expected goals at 10.76, like I mentioned before. And the next best is James Ward-Prowse at 4.97. So Ings is the sole target, really, for all the chances that are created. But in terms of creativity, there is it is literally spread team-wide. You've got Ward-Prowse is the leader, 4.48. Um, you've got Bertrand at 2.2. At Gineppo, 1.1. Hjordberg at 1.73. 1.81 for Redmond. It is literally, like you said, a team effort. And that that's to me, suggests that Southampton have got a good squad. Hassan Hootel's got players that he trusts. So if any players get injured or, or need to come out of the team for any reason, he's got players that can go straight into the same position and do pretty much the same job. 
Right, on to West Ham versus Everton. And I think the one game of optimi- optimism was enjoyable for West Ham fans. Uh, back down to earth with the bump now after that loss to Sheffield United. You kind of touched upon it earlier. You said uh, a lot of talk about the Varham ball. And for me, yeah, it, did, it detracted away from, from the rest of the game. Sheffield United were the better team overall. West Ham were good in patches, but they need to do more than that to climb the table and stay away from the relegation zone. They've now got Everton this weekend, who are, along with Watford, another side who have, have seen a positive uplift after changing the manager. Attacking process looks better now. And while well, they have managed three clean sheets in the last five games, I, briefly looking at some of the numbers, the games against Brighton and Newcastle do jump out where they allowed 1.82 and 1.65. Um, expected goals against now it's not terrible but those aren't exactly elite teams so perhaps there's more than more to meet than meets the eye with these and in terms of what we've seen on paper from Ancelotti's side West Ham I mean make no bones about it they need to get a win here but the market is edging towards Everton at, at 2.45 or 39.5% chance of getting the win is info goal in line with the odds or, or is there value on offer here yeah, so we think there is some value in the 1x2 market. Uh, but unfortunately for you, Ben, it is in Everton's favour. We actually think Everton are a really good bet in this one. We've calculated 48% chance of them getting the win. Um, like you said, West Ham, VAR was the main talking point, but it should have been West Ham's poor attacking display, really. Uh, 0.97 expected goals created against Sheffield United, allowing just under two expected goals. Uh, I know some of that was was through their own, uh, their own making, poor pass from the goalkeeper that pretty much set up the Sheffield United goal. But yeah, the, you know, obviously one game is a is a small sample and we were perhaps getting a little bit carried away with the Moisey effect after the Bournemouth game. Um, but it was a really solid performance. But perhaps now we're seeing why it was such a good performance in the fact that Bournemouth are terrible. So, um, you know, that, that game needs to be taken with a pinch of salt against a really good team in Sheffield United. They struggled, did West Ham face another really good team in this game and um, you know that in terms of process over the course of the season West Ham have allowed 2.12 expected goals against and obviously Moyes only had two games there but one of those games did get near that total which suggests to me that although he is perhaps a more defensive minded manager than, than Manuel Pellegrini the players that he's got at his disposal perhaps aren't aren't good enough to to improve that defensive process massively and I think Everton do have the tools to West Ham some serious problems in this game and coming off the back of another win under Ancelotti, 1-0 win against Brighton, um, you know, they'll be full of confidence. Obviously, they had the the full week of, of, of getting stick from anywhere and everywhere following the, the FA Cup defeat, but they bounced, from, bounced back from that pretty well. Uh, they deserve to get the win against Brighton, although, like you said, it was a, a tight game on expected goals in which there were plenty of chances at both ends. Um but what we've seen from from Everton under Ancelotti is that they are more cons- consistently, anyway, creating better chances. One point six four against Burnley, three point four eight against Newcastle, one point zero five against City, two point one seven against Brighton. So, you know, they 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 are an entertaining team to watch going forward. They're creating plenty of good chances. They've got, I think, most of that is down to the fact that Carlo Ancelotti is is just basically playing gung-ho football. He's got four, five, six attacking players on the pitch at any one time with just four defenders. Um, you know, midfields of Sigurdsson and Tom Davies aren't exactly defensive-minded. And that, that means they're really entertaining to watch. Um, over the course of the season, they actually sit 
eighth in our expected table, so they deserve to be a little bit higher in, uh, than, than what they are at the moment. And the process is, is really, really strong. 1.66 expected goals for, 1.37 against. You called out the two poor defensive displays against Brighton and, and Newcastle, in which they allowed 1.82 and 1.65 respectively. Uh, expected goals, that is. Um, and yeah, there is cause for optimism there, there for, for West Ham, that they could perhaps cause Everton a few problems, but they really need to step the game up because having watched the game on Friday, they, they really look bereft of ideas going forward. Uh, Haller looked isolated as he has done all season long. Um, and I think Everton will be fancying the chances of getting another win at the London Stadium. They went there and, and won comfortably last season, uh, 2-0. I had a brief look at the shot map uh, about an hour or two ago from that game. And it, it was, uh, yeah, it's one that West Ham fans won't want to look at. Uh, and they definitely won't want to repeat. West Ham had three shots in that game last season and, and uh, I think it was 0.11 expected goals. All three came from 25, 30 yards. So they'll, they'll be hoping for a better attacking performance than that. And you know they need to keep Everton at bay. I don't think they'll be able to. I think defensively they are they are in serious trouble. And obviously the injury to Lucas Fabianski is huge as well. They, they're another team that need another goalkeeper. Uh, we, we said Aston Villa were one and it looks like they're getting Pepe Reina over the line. West Ham could do with another goalkeeper. Um, has Randolph been done? Has that, tra- has that transfer gone through? Uh, last I heard is, yeah, it's medical stage, but he actually, funnily enough, he's injured as well or that's what the hold-up's been as well. So not a not a very savvy move from the West Ham board, I think. Not at all. That is, yeah, I I, I didn't know what stage that was at and I definitely didn't know he was injured. So that is, yeah, he, he he's a good goalkeeper. I think he would definitely be an improvement on Roberto and, and, and Martin so yeah, that's a blow if he is injured That it's another area where West Ham are struggling Fabianski is one of the league's best shot stoppers last season he overperformed his XG2 by a country mile he was the best goalkeeper in the league according to that metric so he's a blow uh, him missing is a blow and yeah I just think Everton will be too strong I think they'll create too many chances and um, like I said we've got a decent bit of value in backing Everton to get the win we also think there's value in over two and a half I think that this could be quite a, a goal-laden game. 58% chance is what we're saying um, of over 2.5 goals, 54% on the market. So a high-scoring Everton win is, is where we're looking. Yeah, the market definitely this time in line with you in terms of the, the activity from betters because they're expecting over 2.5, judging by where the odds are moving now. Right, now we've got Newcastle versus Chelsea. Newcastle not only have the tag of being the worst team in the league in terms of their process, they're also the luckiest team in the league. They managed another point against Wolves despite expected goals, suggesting a, a comfortable win um, for Wolves. And it's it's really been the story of their season so far. I don't think Steve Bruce is going to be too concerned, but if those below them begin to pick up performances and, and Newcastle's results fall more in line with what we've seen on the pitch, that that five-point gap down to Aston Villa certainly won't seem so big. Um, we talked a little bit before about a drop-off from Chelsea after the losses to Everton, Bournemouth and Southampton, but they now seem to be back on track. They beat Arsenal, they drew away at Brighton and then put on what was a very good display against Burnley. In terms of the matchup, it's it's Chelsea's attacking process that that stands out should really cause Newcastle's poor defence and problems. That hasn't quite worked out in a lot of Newcastle's games this season. Everything is pointing towards Chelsea win and a good few goals. Do you think that will be the case? Um, I think it is more likely than not. Yes, 
in terms of what Infogol is suggesting probability-wise, we, we think Chelsea are a little bit too short here. Uh, we're 58% chance of a, of a Chelsea win, 64% on the market. So, um, you know, there's not too much value. or the, the, There is value in, in getting on side with Newcastle, but not too much. Um, and given what we've seen, I wouldn't be too hasty in getting on side with Newcastle. Like, like you've said, the process is pretty terrible. Um, the bottom of the expected goals table, they have been for some time now. Um, and they, they just seem to keep outperforming expected goals and sooner or later it will come back and bite you um, obviously we saw the flip side with Southampton they were they were performing really well and not getting the results and now they're propelled up and you know it could very easily be the case as you mentioned there that Newcastle they've performed really poorly for a long long period of time now and you know at some point those results will start going against you my worry is that they only need another five six maybe Seven points to say up. I think it's going to be a low total this season. Aston Villa, Bournemouth and Norwich aren't going to put too many more wins on the board, in my opinion. Um, the, this sort of game isn't what Steve Bruce will be looking at, I don't think, to, to get points. It, it's the sort of game that they've actually done well in this season, though. Obviously, off the top of my head, beat Manchester United at home. Um, I think they've been to Spurs and got a win. So they, they are, they're a dangerous team to play for a, for a, a, a top six side, if you like. <clears throat> Process-wise, as I mentioned, it is terrible. They they're creating very little. The worst attack in the, in, in the Premier League, um, and they're allowing nearly two expected goals against per game. So, and just looking at the raw processing, you, you wouldn't like you said you wouldn't really give Newcastle much of a chance. But they're, they're making a habit, which is not a good habit, of winning of, of taking points from games that they don't really deserve to. Um, yeah, they're on a bad run of form really at the minute, Newcastle. Four games without a win in the Premier League. Uh, but obviously, you've got to look at the teams that they played. They played Manchester United, Everton, Leicester and Wolves. So three teams uh, three teams that are chasing a top six and Everton who are just, just below. So they've had a tough schedule. They've lost the XG battle in all five of the last five matches, which is something that they've done a lot of this season. But there is a feeling that they have a bit of defensive steel about them and, and they, they do keep teams out, whether that is... Uh, deserved or not, um, they have ridden the luck this season. They're getting a lot of it, and sooner or later, will run out. It's just whether a matter of when and not if, really. Chelsea, as you mentioned, were yeah, they they, they were pretty good against Burnley. They they put the the home the poor home form to bed with that win. Obviously, before that, they'd gone uh, three defeats in four home games, and and they, you know they comfortably dispatched Burnley, creating two point eight seven expected goals for per game. Um, you know, they are one of the league's best attacking teams. 2.07 um, expected goals for per game is, is their average. It's the third best in the league behind Man City and Liverpool. Defensively, though, we're still seeing some issues. And, um, you know, that will that'll definitely give Newcastle hope. They allowed 1.09 expected goals to Burnley, 1.9 to Brighton, um, you know, 1.02 to Southampton. So they're conceding good chances to teams that are in and around Newcastle in the Premier League table. So, yeah, that. They they showed a little bit of improvement just before Christmas, but since then things have got back to how they were at the start of the season, and they're allowing one point two eight expected goals per game. So I would I expect Newcastle to get at least a couple of chances in this in this game to get on the score sheet, and that that is where we're looking in terms of value this time. We think fifty nine percent chance of both teams scoring. Uh, it's fifty eight percent on the market, so it's a small amount of value. Um, like I've said, in terms of 
the one x two. There isn't any value in backing Chelsea from an infield perspective. We think they're a little bit too short, and Newcastle are just so unpredictable. Yeah, we've talked a little bit about other teams and maybe dipping into the transfer market. There's a lot of talk around Chelsea. Is that, I guess, one? Do you think it's necessary for them to to get involved in the transfer market? And two, what about this? People saying it could potentially have a negative impact where they've got this this young team that kind of seem to be connected together and it might be disruptive. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think I agree with the latter, really. I think, I think don't think they're really in a place where they need to go and buy players. They've got uh, you know, just a plethora of young players that are coming through the academy that, that seem to be game ready. You know, Reese James started at the weekend at right back, played really well. Um, he, he looks pretty much ready. Tamori's in there already. Um, you know, you've got Hudson Odoi played well, got a goal. Tammy Abraham got a goal. So that, you know, in terms of player needing players, I don't think there's any position they need to strengthen really. Um, I still feel like they they've, they've not replaced Eden Hazard. I know it's it's easier said than done because he's a fantastic footballer and one of the best on the planet. But in terms of that player that can break down a tight defence, I don't think they quite have that yet. I think Ross Barkley. I, I like what I've seen from him in an England shirt recently. In the last couple of friendlies, he hasn't really even given a chance at Chelsea in, in the last month or so. Uh, he played at the weekend and by all accounts had a good game. So he could be an interesting one that could perhaps come into the team and, and stamp his authority. Midfield-wise, <clears throat> they're pretty set. Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic. You know, probably one of the best midfielders in the Premier League behind Manchester City and, uh, and Liverpool. Going forward, I still think they probably need they're probably a striker short, really. I, I rate Tammy Abraham, but I think when he's not firing, they perhaps need another one in there. Um but yeah, overall I'd just I'd stick with what 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 they're doing right now. It, it's working, it's it's definitely a much more long term plan than than the original Abramovich era of just splashing cash on any player. Um I think it's the better business model, to be honest, and, and I think they'll reap the rewards long term uh, going the way that they are than uh, than what they were doing previously. So our next game is Burnley versus Leicester and we just talked about how Burnley was swept aside by Chelsea at the weekend and it seems to flown under the radar a little bit just how poor their recent run has been. They've lost seven of the last nine. They had in between there, they had two narrow wins against Newcastle and Bournemouth if we've, we've spoken about and how poor those two sides are. We obviously know to look beyond those those results there and those kind of numbers and, and look more at the performances which haven't been too bad. But the the drop down the table is obviously going to be be a worry for them. Leicester, meanwhile, they had a blip of their own after that the draw with Norwich and losses to Liverpool and Manchester City. But I think you said it well last week when what you expect them is a bit of recovery, and they did exactly that with away wins at West Ham and Newcastle. But then back on home soil at the weekend, they lost to Southampton. They didn't just lose; the scoreline suggested it was close, but Southampton dominated the game and. Were it not for the woodwork and VAR, it, it could have been a lot bigger of a scoreline. What are you thinking for this one? We've got Leicester fairly short at 1.862, which equates to just over 50% chance of getting the win. Can Burnley cause an upset and stop the rot? Well, this is that is a very good question. I, I think this is, too, this is probably a really interesting game for me. I think Burnley, like you said, they are on a really bad run of form, but they're playing Leicester who are showing a little bit of inconsistencies for the first time this season. Um, yeah, Burnley, Burnley, I know you said they're seven defeats in nine, but that actually stretches to 10 defeats in 14. They're, um, <coughs> they've been extremely streaky in that time. Uh, 
I did look at the the expected goals total over, over that entire period, and you know they're, they're actually unfortunate to have only won four of those fourteen. They were the better team in seven of those according to expected goals. So, like you said, that things aren't as bad as as the current table looks. They are dangerously close to the relegation zone. You know, an Aston Villa win and, and a defeat for Burnley would would put them on level uh, playing field. So this is it's a big game really for them. Just to just to get a little bit of confidence back and get them pointing in the right direction. Um, over the course of the season, they have you know they've not they've not been bad at all. We, we've we've said it every time um, we've looked at Burnley on on the podcast that they're a mid table team. They're playing like a mid table team, and that hasn't changed. They sit tenth in our expected goals table. Um, a, a decent process: one point four expected goals for, one point five one against. So they you know they. Tough team to beat. <clears throat> I know Chelsea made light work of them uh, at the weekend, but Burnley had a couple of chances before they went behind. That could have been a different game. And, and the last home match against Aston Villa, they lost that game, but according to expected goals, they should have probably won that by uh, a 2-1 scoreline. So, although just looking at the raw form, four defeats in a row that they come into this with, the, their underlying performances haven't been too bad. Um, and, you know, I, I think that Sean Dyche's side will snap out of this, this rut at some point. Whether that is here or not, it remains to be seen. But, you know, like you said, Leicester weren't just beaten by Southampton. They were dominated by Southampton, which is, uh, you know, it's a huge worry, really. Um, throw, throw, uh, showing a few chinks in the armour. Bounced back well after defeats against, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Man City and Liverpool by beating West Ham and Newcastle. Um, and they could do with bouncing back here because I was looking at the table and I know it's, um, you know, it's still a big points gap, but 11 points between Leicester and Manchester United, that is... Um, you know, it's not it's not out of the question that, that that gap could be closed. So they need to keep uh, at least winning one every two to to secure a top four finish for me. Um, starting with this one, really, I think this is it's a big game for Leicester just to get that confidence back. And yeah, it, it was a strange one the Southampton game because it was the first time that Jamie Vardy had come back into the team after Christmas, which uh, for a Premier League game anyway, which is potentially it showed a bit of rust there, but. Yeah, they, they just didn't look like their usual selves. They were they were outplayed, they were outfought, and um, you know, creating just 0.74 expected goals per game uh, in that game. Sorry, is is really low compared to the season average of 1.97. So it could just be a one-off performance uh, in which Rogers got his tactics wrong, perhaps. In which case, we we, sh- we will see a little bit of a backlash in this match. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's happened a few times now. Uh, obviously, they played. Liverpool, Man City, Southampton. If you just look at the expected table, there are three teams that sit in the top four of our expected table. So the, the defeats have come against uh, what we think are the better teams in the league on expected goals. Um, so perhaps we're overreacting by thinking that they're showing a few chinks in the armour. But either way, I think this is a, this is almost a must-not lose because if they lose this game as well, all of a sudden you've got teams um, outside the top four that are looking up at Leicester and thinking that they're catchable. We actually think that they are too short for this game, though. We make them odds against. Uh, we give them a 44% chance of, of getting the three points. Like you said, that they're, they're just over 50% uh, on, the, on the market. And given what we've seen from Burnley, and, and actually in the reverse fixture, Burnley did win this game on expected goals, 1.9 to 1.1, I think it was, um, but lost the game 2-1. So they've shown that they, they, they're a match for Leicester on the deck. <laughs> and, you know... We, we think there's a decent bit of value in getting on side with Burnley. 56% chance Burnley or the draw, 47% on the market. So 
you know, I, I could see Burnley causing a bit of an upset here and, and, and holding Leicester to a, a point maybe or maybe even another defeat. But if you want a safer bet, I think both teams to score is, is just that. 61% chance of both teams scoring according to the InfoGoal model, 57% on the market. So both teams to score, maybe a score draw or a surprise home win. First, you write Leicester off for the title, Jake. Now you're suggesting they could be caught for top four and that Burnley are the value play. People are going to be accusing you of saying they're the new Arsenal. Oh, I won't quite go that far, no. They, they are, they, they've got a much better process than, than any team outside of the top um, top five, top six. Um, but according to our expected table, they've only ranked as the seventh best team this season. So they, they're fortunate to sit third at this stage. They've, they've rode the luck in both attack and defence. 47 goals scored, 43 expected goals, uh, 21 conceded, 30.5 expected goals against. So, that, you know, they are overperforming by quite a margin in terms of um, goals scored and, and conceded. So at some point, they might hit a dodgy patch and it looks like they're, they're about to enter now or they have entered. Well, you were bang on with the, the title chances when there was a lot of hope around that. So it'd be interesting one to see what happens to that top four race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I still think that they'll get over the line, but I, I don't think it's going to be plain sailing. Right, so now we've got our final game, Liverpool versus Manchester United. Not a bad game to end on. Maybe five years ago it might have been a bit better, but... Times have changed. Liverpool are, are much the better side nowadays than they have been for quite a while. Expected points suggest it isn't as clear-cut as the table suggests. I think Manchester City's complete dominance in some games actually means that they're, they're top based on expected goals. But I think few people can argue with what we've seen from Liverpool this season. Manchester United, meanwhile, they're still in a, a recovery period, shall we call it. They've been trying to sort themselves out for a few years and I think they could learn a few lessons from this weekend's opponents in terms of the recruitment and, and how to build a team with what Liverpool have done over the last couple of years. United, they, they dominated Norwich this weekend and we've we've seen that in patches this season, but then they tend to go on a, a, a too bad game run or they, they put all that hard work behind them. I'm sure people will be highlighting Manchester United's record against the top six going into this game and saying that their style might suit the the kind of opponents in Liverpool there. They're obviously the only team not to lose to Liverpool this season, thanks to that draw back in October. Pinnacle thinks there's a 20% chance of that draw happening again, 12% chance of Manchester United being the first team to beat Liverpool in 38 games, and a 68% chance that Liverpool get their 21st win from 22 games. Sounds a bit ridiculous saying that, but what what are the info goal numbers saying for this? So we're not as as hot on Liverpool in this game. We're giving them a fifty six percent chance of getting the win, so some twelve percent less than what 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 Pinnacle's suggesting. And you know, it's really hard to oppose Liverpool. They're just they're an absolute juggernaut at the minute. And obviously, the fact that not only are they winning matches now, but they're actually keeping clean sheets is even more worrying for for everyone involved. And you know. It's, it, it, there's nothing else to say, really. They are just playing at a, a level that is above everyone in the Premier League. Um, you mentioned there that they don't sit top of our expected table, and, and that, that's right. And that's because Manchester City have won um, twenty, uh, have won the XG battle in twenty of the twenty-two Premier League matches they played this season. So, um, you know, that in terms of expected points, Manchester City sit top. But what we're seeing from Liverpool is a level of consistency that that we haven't seen. Um, 
probably ever. I mean, I know Manchester City went on that crazy winning run to win the title last season, but this is this is something else, really. 21, 20, 20 wins in 21 Premier League matches is uh, is exceptional. Yes, it, <clears throat> the main question really for me is, is, can Manchester United stop them and beat them? And the answer for me is yes, they can. Uh, will they? Probably not. Um, Man United's process this season has been, has been pretty impressive. They're doing a lot right. 1.87 expected goals for, 1.19 expected goals against. So they actually rate as the second best defensive team in the league. They're playing the, the best defensive team in the league in Liverpool. Um, that they have the the capabilities and the talent to to cause Liverpool serious problems, like they did at Old Trafford. Um, and you know they are unbeaten against teams in uh, in and around the. Yeah, in, in the current top six, they're unbeaten against the, those teams. Yeah, it's just really hard to make a case. In terms of value, we're looking at um, opposing Liverpool is is the clear value play, as as we, like I said, only giving them a 56% chance of getting a win. But yeah, they're just playing with such dominance at the minute and winning games, like I said, to nil. Is it five or six games in a row they've now won uh, to nil in, in the Premier League, which is quite quite staggering. And they were just in total control of, of Tottenham for the for the most part in that game at the weekend. And I think Manchester United are slightly better than Tottenham. They definitely offer more of an attacking threat with the likes of Rashford, Marshall, Martial, James, uh, Greenwood. So <clears throat> I'm definitely looking at the both teams to score angle in this. And uh, we think there's some value there. 55% chance of both teams to score, uh, 54 on the market. But like I said, oppo- opposing... Um, opposing Liverpool is is the clear value play. If you're brave enough to to do that, then by all means go for it. I certainly won't be. Though. The model's suggesting it, but there's no way in, in that you can oppose Liverpool, especially at Anfield um, right now. Uh, the other interesting play for me is, is perhaps looking at uh, at the at the under 2.5 goal market. I think the goal I think the goal line is pretty high on this one. Uh, there's 62% chance of over two and a half goals. So. Thirty-eight uh, percent chance of of unders. Um, we calculate a fifty-six percent chance of overs, so forty-four percent chance of the under two and a half, which is a six percent margin. So I'd be looking at, at under two and a half. You know, one nil against Tottenham, one two nil against Sheffield United, one nil against Wolves. Um, you know, they're not exactly blowing teams out of the water right now, Liverpool, but they are keeping things tight at the back. Um, when you do that, very uh, more often than not, um, you know, low-scoring game follows. So under two and a half is 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 a, a definitely a value play, but. I think both teams to score could be the way forward. And you know what? A one-one draw. Why not put the two together and just take just take a punt on Man United ending this Liverpool run? Yeah, I mean the market is heading towards the the over on two point five and three, which is quite surprising given how good these these two defenses have been this season. And yeah, it's it's almost as if Liverpool putting all those wins together, and it's like, can you get any better? Yeah, we can win to nil. And exactly what you said there. I think it's six games on the spin without conceding the goal. It's just it's it's getting ridiculous now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, but I'm pretty sure that if Manchester United can beat Liverpool, be the first team to beat them this season, I think Man United would probably take that as a, as a as a almost a title um, <laughs> beating Liverpool. Um, but yeah, I think the fact that they've already taken points off Liverpool it gives them a, a psychological advantage that perhaps other teams playing Liverpool don't have. Um, because obviously everyone goes into the game and, and everyone bar Man United that they'll be playing in the second half of the season, Liverpool have already beaten them, so they've already got a mental edge. But Man United can go into this game knowing that we actually went toe-to-toe with Liverpool and we came away with a point. 
does that mean that they've got a better chance of getting something than other teams? No. Um, I think it'll give them a bit more confidence to go there and, 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 and have a go. But yeah, it is just so hard to look past this Liverpool team. And Liverpool win to nil wouldn't surprise me at all. A 1-1 draw wouldn't, because like we've said, Manchester United have been excellent against the better teams this season. And it, 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 that sort of style of football that Man United like to play is suited to play in these games, because Liverpool will dominate the football. They'll try and create chances. And Manchester United, they are clinical on the counter-attack, and they have players that can progress the ball quickly in the right areas, and they make good decisions when they get there. So, fascinating game. But I'm not sure if I'd have called it the perch war, like Sky Sports have. Well, that's it. It's another 10 games of Analyze, another 10 games of great insight from you, Jake, and the team at InfoGoal. So I appreciate the time as always. I'm, I'm sure our listeners are thankful for your input. No, it's a pleasure. Pleasure. Look forward to it next week. And if anyone listening wants more information on InfoGold or you want to take a look at the numbers that we've discussed in more detail, you can visit infogold.net, follow at InfoGold app on Twitter or download the app on iPhone and Android. We've got all the latest odds for the Premier League available on pinnacle.com. Best of luck with any bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.